No, that's what I love about this work, though, is it is so many light bulb moments for people. And, and you know, it's so powerful because this has been out there in the science for a few years now, not for many years, but for so long. And I just feel like people need to know this stuff. They need to know it. It's important. Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend, and in this podcast, I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures, as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries, and how they keep healthy, happy, and sane. Do you have a child, a partner, someone you love, or someone you work with, or just somebody you know who you see the most incredible potential in, but it drives you nuts because they can't get started, they get easily distracted, their bedroom is messy, they are late, they lose things, they blow up and their emotions get the better of them over the smallest thing. Or is it you? Do you suffer from any of these things? And in your life, you have been called lazy, distracted. Why can't you just concentrate? Why can't you just get it done? Why can't you get that project in on time? This is something that a lot of people suffer from, and it is because of a lack of understanding of what is known as our executive functions. Today's guest is Victoria Bagnall, and she runs a company called Connections in Mind, and she helps people to understand what executive functions are and how we can train ourselves to be better. They are the functions that help us execute our lives, how to inhibit responses, how to be on time, how to get tasks started, how to stop being distracted, all those good things. It's such a fascinating conversation and I'm afraid there's a little bit more of me in this conversation than some of the others because this is something that my daughter and myself, we both suffer from and these functions all happen in the prefrontal cortex part of our brain and Victoria's conversation and her mission in life are really all about trying to get people to understand each other better because if you know that somebody suffers from these and if you know yourself that this is something you struggle with how do you look after yourself better how do you train yourself in order to make these executive functions work better for you I hope you enjoy it. I really, really urge you to listen and pass it on to anyone that you might feel could benefit from it. Teachers, parents, partners, bosses, anybody. Also, I'd like to say a very big thank you to Mama Cox in Switzerland for the amazing review. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for joining me all the way from Uganda, I hear. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I hate to say it, but the sun is shining here. It's a beautiful day. Oh, how marvellous. Well, the sun's shining here in Switzerland as well. So happy days, although I suspect it's a little bit colder here than it is where you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, it's uh, 27 degrees today, so rather balmy. Oh, I'm a little bit jealous, to be honest. Despite the snow, I'm a little bit jealous of that. Anyway, um, so thank you so much for joining me. Um, I wanted to, we're going to talk about executive function. I know that's your absolute speciality and your passion. But before we get to it, it in itself, I'd like to hear a little bit about you, um, because I think that there's a little bit of a backstory in terms of dealing with executive function without knowing that that's what you were dealing with as a child would I be correct absolutely yes that's a good way of putting it um yeah so I grew up uh, really kind of struggling uh with my my school work I think and fitting in at school like I felt like I was a bit of a I don't know a spare part at school didn't really everyone else seemed to get it and I didn't really get it the same the same way um although I was quite gifted academically so I could perform very well in tests and, and you know actually um was able to perform well so for a teacher you know looking from the outside it was you know she seems like quite a normal student but it just was I think it was a lot harder for me than it was for for other people and I think that the key things around that were I really struggled to be self-aware, to understand, you know, my performance, whether that was in the school environment or in the playground. Um, so I found I was quite awkward as a child growing up and got quite badly bullied in certain instances. Um, so that's kind of my metacognition part of my executive functioning. Um, but also I think the the really interesting part for me was my working memory um, and, and sustained attention and how that played into uh, my problems with re- learning uh, to read. 
and, and and it was diagnosed as dyslexia at the time and I do think that's the kind of the correct diagnosis for the challenges that I was facing but the underlying issues there were that I wasn't really kind of engaging with the written language in the same way um, that other people were uh, and to this day I still find it very very difficult to proofread my own work um, so I have to have a um, one of these text-to-speech editors that kind of reads back to me what I've written even in emails and um, because often I make typos or I spell words differently and that's partly to do with the dyslexia part of the, you know the the actual kind of literacy part of you know my my brain and my understanding but also really to do with that kind of working memory piece I read what I think I've written not what's actually on the page um, and so I don't pick up on those little typos and things like that and I think I hope that you know that's something that kind of resonates with people that have these challenges I know a number of my team also have these challenges as well that you know that was the real real difficulty for me at school I got called lazy I got called um, you know just pay attention if you could just work harder at your spelling so you would you would do better but it wasn't because I couldn't spell the word I could spell the word I just didn't see that I'd made a mistake um, as I was doing my work I find that so fascinating and I really want to come on to all those things you talked about, the working memory, the sustained attention, metacognition. But I do want to then say, uh, before that, I want to say that you ended up studying at Cambridge, Mm -hmm. which is a fairly impressive achievement, you know, given the the challenges you said you faced. Mm, Yes, I did. And it's one of the hardest experiences that I've lived through in my life, uh, but one of the ones I'm most proud of. Um, so my kind of specialist subject or the subject I studied at, at Cambridge is geography. And I really love geography because it, it takes, it makes sense out of what can be quite a complex, disorganized world that we live in and tries to categorize it and make sense of it. So I love data. I love finding patterns. Um, and so I was a natural geographer and I think that plays a lot to my executive function challenges because I'm quite a visual person and I find it much easier to engage with things visually and to find patterns rather than to kind of digest a lot of text and things like that. So so I was lucky enough to find I had a passion with a particular subject from an early age and I I discovered that around GCSE. So that was quite clear for me. I always knew I wanted to read geography at university. Um, so I think that really helped me. Also, I have a very strong executive function, which is called goal-directed persistence, which is sometimes called grit or resilience. And so despite all these challenges, I have this really strong desire to succeed. Some people might call it com- be a competitive nature, but I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't find it very easy to fail at something. If I fail at something, I want to get back up and I want to go and I want to do it. So Cambridge was the ultimate you know, goal. It was the, the, you know, the thing as I was growing up, you know, if you go to Cambridge, it was at that time, the number one university for geography in the entire world. So, you know, it was that kind of goal-directed persistence that got me there. Um, But it was hard when I was there because I suffered again from this um, discrimination against my different way of thinking and my different way of presenting information because I was very good verbally. I could go to uh, supervision, which is kind of like a tutorial where you have two or three people and you could discuss the topic of the day but when it came to writing down essays I'd already always get really poor marks and my um my teachers were at, at university couldn't really understand how can this person be so strong verbally and clearly understand all of the arguments but also at the same time not be able to write a good essay they just couldn't couldn't work it out it wasn't something they were familiar Um, with seeing so I did struggle through Cambridge it was really hard and there were some very dark moments for me but I'm really glad I experienced that because I think it has given me that sense of I can achieve anything if I really put my mind to it Um, but it was hard all the same oh I can I you've no idea how much what you've just said has resonated with me I went to university to study French um, and I ended up taking a literature degree and while I don't do not suffer from any form of uh word issues you know I don't I I I'm I've always been able to spell being able to see words in my head is a is my superpower if that makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> it's how I end up being able to speak languages and so on but the inability to 
present information in an essay. I, I can't believe to this day that I have a, a language and a history degree, two subjects that require a lot of reading and, <laughs> and essay writing. And we found each other because of my daughter, who I recognized a lot of these issues in, and we're going to come on to it. But as the more and more I worked with her I am working with her the more I realized that I don't know how I managed to get a degree I know why it was a pretty average degree now despite the fact that I loved both the subjects I was studying so I totally get that I'm slightly waffling but I completely get that sort of how do you structure an essay how do you put it all in the right order how do you for me it was even a question of how do I even get started and I think that's one of the things that uh, is one of the many issues of executive function problems as well. Would, is that correct? Yes, it's one of the key things that comes up for the students and, and adults that we work with is the difficulty putting thoughts down on paper in the form of an essay. And, and let's face it, that the majority of academia is based on essay writing. And it's a skill that you need from around 13 all the way through the rest of your academic career um, and doesn't really change much um, as I found um, mm. but it, it's not taught well in schools um, it's not taught in a way that is um, clear to all learners some people just get it because they think in a certain way but for those people who don't necessarily think in that way who don't have kind of the same order in their brains and I use order I'm, I'm making those kind of little mm. speech marks <laughs> as I'm, I'm speaking there but um, because I do think that's relative on your, your perspective. Um, and I, I think that, you know, with, with essay writing, it, it involves so many executive functions. Um, you need to be able to, first of all, get started on the mm. task. We just talked about that. You know, often that's one of the biggest challenges is getting started on it. And, and the more you do essays and find them difficult, the more difficult it gets to get started mm. on them because of the more painful the experience is. Um, so that's kind of cumulative. But once you're in, you know, in the process of writing the essay, you've got to filter through all this information that you've been given on your reading list or whatever it is at the university, especially. Obviously, when you're younger, it's not quite the same. But you've got to write an essay that's specific to a specific question. So you've got to filter mm. out all of the knowledge that you have and you've got to make an argument. And that doesn't ever seem to really be taught that well at school. Like, this is what you're doing. They, they do talk about it, but they're not talking about how to do that specifically uh, and how to form a paragraph. You know, a paragraph needs to be your point, which answers your question then it needs to be parts of evidence that support that point and and then you need to explain that point and then you need to link it back to the question now that all sounds you know it sounds fairly straightforward when you think about it that way but if you've got lots of things whirring around in your head that you want to say because you've got so much passion and knowledge for your subject filtering out one argument to make at one time is so hard and that's where this executive function of planning and prioritization come in um, and it's such a key one that keeps coming up um, for the students and adults that we work with just being able to filter out what's important to say in each paragraph to create that clear concise and um, direct argument so that you can um, develop your skills in that area. I think you've just explained it better to me than anybody has ever explained it to me in my life. <laughs> oh, I spent a lot of time decoding what a good essay looks like. Um, but yes, it, it's there's a tick box to it. And every teacher you know, that works in the arts will try and tell you it's not and everyone needs to develop their own style. But there really is. And actually, there is a computer algorithm that's been developed that can mark essays. Um, wow. Um, yes, so it is formulaic um, and, and you can have a, ch a checkbox way of doing it. Um, very, very interesting. And so it's probably a good time. Um, I'm going to come dip back in and out of your story, but it's probably a good time for uh, those who are listening who are thinking, what? Executive function. We've sort of talked on the, uh, spoken a little bit about working memory, uh, sustained attention, the getting started, uh, you know, all these sorts of things, the, the dyslexia side of things. What can you explain in a nutshell what really this is and what it encompasses? Because if, if there, there are either, maybe people listening going, I know exactly what it is, but maybe people listening thinking, this sounds sort of familiar, or other people thinking, what on earth are you talking about? 
<laughs> yeah um, if if my kind of general experience um is kind of indicative of the population at large I think many people will be listening and saying I've never heard of this before um and it's really interesting to me when I when I have my light bulb moment and found out about executive functions I was just like why doesn't everyone know about this mm. and it's really interesting to uncover why that is and I've been to many conferences and talked to many professionals academics about this and the reason why people don't know about this term is because it's seen as a neuroscientific term and that the general public doesn't need to really understand it which I find quite ridiculous personally because I feel like this is part of our our body it's part of our brain it's part of what makes us who we are and if we can understand it better we can harness the power of this special part of our brain and we can do amazing things with it so my life's work is to really to help everybody to understand what executive functions are and, and how they help us to be the best people that we can be so that all sounds quite grand, doesn't it? But really getting down to the nutshell of this is the executive functions are a group um, of brain functions that are found in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So that's the bit of your brain behind your forehead. And they are the brain functions that are responsible for helping us to manage ourselves generally. And they're called executive functions because they help us to execute tasks. That's why they have this ridiculous name. It sounds like you're going to train to be a CEO or something. Um, but it's about executing tasks, getting things done. And in the 21st century, to be a successful human being, you need to get a lot of things done. Um, and so that's why, for me, they are such essential skills and such essential brain functions that everybody needs to know about them. Everyone needs to know their strengths and their weaknesses. And there has we've, we've had over 10,000 people fill out our executive function questionnaire, and I can send you the link to that so that you can put it in the notes mm. for this. Um, um, but we've had over 10,000 people fill out executive function questionnaire. Nobody has had a perfect executive function profile, not even some of the teachers <laughs> that we um, have worked with. Nobody has mm. um, an exec a perfect executive function profile. So everybody can work on improving their ability to get things done. Um, and so that plays into all sorts of things. It plays into getting started on tasks, so procrastination, it, um, the prioritization that we just talked about, managing our emotions, our emotional regulation, um, inhibiting responses. So that's when you feel like you want to do something, you have the urge to do it, but you are able to use your brain to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. So that comes into eating and diet um, in, in also to substance abuse and all sorts of areas of life so this isn't just academics this is about getting things done and leading a life that is the life that we want to lead that we're not being ruled by kind of the more primitive urges that we have um, and so I think the final bit to add to that definition is that executive functions is the part of our brain that controls our more kind of animal instincts uh, and so it's it's it, when it's engaged it's doing an amazing work at um, really regulating those instincts and what our kind of more animal part of our brain wants us to do. But if our executive functions are disconnected from our more instinctual part of our brain, we are living in that kind of more instinctual um, mode, as it were. And that's where we get to the kind of fight, flight or freeze mode. And that's when our executive functions aren't online. I could speak for hours about that, but um, <laughs> I hope that answers yeah. your question. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating because uh, that plus what I know about my daughter who's 10 and who has given me permission to speak about this with you on the podcast I asked her this morning because and I was going to say and from myself because a lot of the things I've read especially for what you've written is that people with executive function and difficulties and this is something that I as I've said I have recognized in myself so much we are taught we are told as you said earlier that we are lazy we are you know you're not concentrating we're wasting our potential you're too emotional you, you, all the things that come with just sort of slightly being shamed mm. and it's hard and so when you say there that you know use the sort of slightly uh was it the primitive brain was that mm. what you said and people like uh, for example my husband who is absolutely I would say very high on the executive functioning scale mm. um you just don't they don't get it a lot of the time they think mm. that there's 
you know, it's really hard. So how can people with these sorts of challenges, especially, so let, well, let's start, let's ask, how can we be helped? Let's start with as children and then perhaps as a grown up like myself suddenly going, oh, it's almost like the sense of relief, but also Oh, what can I do about it? Mm, absolutely. And I just want to recognize that sense of shame because I think it is mm. the foundation of a lot of the, the troubles that a lot of the people that come to us have. Um, there's a lot of shame out there about finding these things difficult. Um, but yet everyone struggles with these things to a different extent. Uh, and I firmly believe that the best way for us to help people in the long term um, is to get to a stage where we're talking about executive functions all the time um, and that it's part of our language and that, you know, it's it's a skill just the same as learning to ride a bike, just the same as um, developing language skills, that we recognize that we have strengths or weaknesses in these particular areas and what we're doing to work on those. Because, you know, the, the executive functions are the same um, as all sorts of other skills. We, we need to develop those skills. It's not just you're born with them or you're not. You can develop them. You can work on them um and, and it is harder let me just be super clear it is harder for certain people for certain brains to do that but everybody can work on and develop their executive functions so moving away from the long term now because that's my pipe dream <laughs> um <laughs> and um you know I should be very happy as the 100 year old woman you know that these things have been achieved but there's a lot of work to do to get to that stage so in the short short to medium term the best thing that we can do to help young people to develop strong executive functions is to start talking about them within our household uh, and developing that shared literacy around the challenges that our young people are facing is essential so really just naming the executive function. So getting to know what they are, first of all, um, and then getting familiar with them and then using them in communication. So um, my daughter, for example, she's really, she really struggles with regulating her emotions. We, she's, I kind of often liken her to kind of afraid nerve. She's just always on edge about something. Um, but we talk about, you know, her emotional control skills and her strategies that she can use. And um, we're, we're, building up her skills and her strategies around that so that this propensity for emotional dysregulation that she has isn't going to be something that's going to get in the way for her as she grows up. So, so we're just talking about it at home. We're helping her to develop strategies and skills, just like we were helping her to learn to ride a bike. Um, and, and that's mm. our responsibility as, as parents. But also at school, obviously, you know, schools can be doing more. So very few teachers actually know what executive functions are. They see executive function challenges as character flaws, mm. um, uh, personality traits, which they absolutely, um, th that's not how you define them. You can define these things as brain functions. They can be trained, they can be developed and we need to work on them. So it's really important that we do that. So teacher training is really important. So if you've got a receptive school, um, we have a great teacher training program and, and we can do all sorts of things to help teachers to understand this better. Um, when you're coming on to adults, I think, the, the most important thing is to uh, understand our strengths and weaknesses, understand they make us who we are, and then make decisions around that information. So, for example, I know that I really struggle with organizing things. So my organization of things is, is really poor. Um, so I, you know, have help around the house to keep things tidy and to keep on top of the washing and the laundry and things like that. I've made a decision to outsource <laughs> that part of mm. my executive functioning. As an adult, I'm metacognitive. I'm self-reflective enough to understand that. So I've made that decision to do that. And luckily, I'm in the privileged position that I have financial means to be able to do that. And I do understand that, you know, some people won't necessarily have that. Um, but mm. often we can get help from friends and family to support us in those things too. Um, but also there's some things that I want to work on. So whilst organization isn't a priority for me because I know I can delegate that, um, there are some things that I do want to work on. For example, my emotional regulation. Um, and I'm doing a lot of work on, on working on that. I really suffer with anxiety, I think, as a result of the shame that I've suffered over the years of having executive function challenges. So anxiety is a big thing for me. So I get the support um, of a, a therapist. I speak to uh, someone um, on a regular basis, not every week, but you know, once a month or something like that to help me with my emotional reflections and regulation. Um, 
And so that just helps me kind of keep ticking over and developing skills in those areas. So developing skills with meditation, which I find really helps me, breathing techniques and, and just working out what works for me. So with adults, obviously, we're much more self-aware. So the thing is to work out, OK, these are my strengths and weaknesses. What do I want to work on? And also, how can I play to my strengths? Right. Goal directed persistence, as I said, <laughs> is my strength. Um, <laughs> and so I use that. You know, I'm I'm leading an amazing organization of amazing people who are committed to this work. And, you know, and, and being a leader and you know, requires that kind of strong goal directed persistence. And I can see envisage you know how this is all going to look in in 10 years time and and can maximize the um the productivity of our team to make sure we help as many people as we can so you know just using that information to help inform our life decisions i think is really important uh, that is extraordinary because the, the thing that you've just said there about the being able to visualize and see ahead like i just i just don't have that and i see that other people i see other people doing it and i think how do you do that? It's a little bit, it makes me think about writing an essay. There's just mm -hmm. so much information. How do you filter out and push away the stuff that is not, you know, I'm excellent at tiny, tiny detail. But if you ask me to look at something on a much bigger picture, I think, oh, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I just genuinely don't know what it looks like. So I love the fact of sort of finding the thing, the things that you're good at. Like for me, the writing mm. I love I love writing I love reading I'm very that's as I said earlier that's one of the things that I feel I'm very good at and if I see things I can remember them all that sort of stuff so I love the fact you know find the good things because going a little bit back to the the shame side of things it's such a revelation at age whatever I am 47 to suddenly go wow okay so it's not because I just was too thick or mm too lazy or couldn't be bothered um and I I find that really has helped not just me but to work with my daughter in her challenges um and I love uh I'm reading the sort of top 10 things you wrote an article on LinkedIn quite recently the top 10 things you've learned about it in the last five years and you've covered a few of them there but one of the things that I had noticed long before I knew any of this existed it was about the waxing and waning, and it depends so much on how you look after yourself. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Mm, this is such such an important thing, I think, in terms of the self-care. This is another reason why I just think like those neuroscientists who are sitting there deciding what people get to know about or not. Like this is such an important understanding when we're thinking about mindfulness and we're thinking about all of these things that now are very topical and self-care and, and all these things. Mm. Like what's the neuroscience behind that? Why is it that that's important? And it's because... If we look after ourselves and if we are, if we're well rested and if we've eaten well and if we've done the things that we love, our brain is in a much better condition to regulate mm. our instincts. Our executive functions are physically disconnected from our more instinctual parts of our brain when we are suffering from stress, when we haven't eaten well. That's why hangry is a thing. You know, when the kids get hangry, <laughs> yeah. that is an actual thing. They are living in their more instinctual part of their brain. Um, when we haven't done the things that we love and we haven't nurtured that, our human spirit and, and done those things that make us come alive. Um, it, then it's less connected with our instinctual part of our brain and we're living in those kind of more instinctual decision-making in, in terms of our relationships with people. You know, when we're tired, we get snappy. That's because mm. our executive functions aren't regulating our emotions as well as they would do if we slept well. Um, also, if we haven't slept well or if we're tired or if we're hungry or if we, we haven't done the things that we love, um, our working memory is really poor. We forget things which can then spiral into feelings of, you know, less self-worth and then I can't have time to do the things that I want to I need to stay up late because I need to finish this thing and then this spiral can continue whereby we're not getting enough sleep we're not eating well we're not doing the things we love uh, and then our executive functions become kind of disconnected and I think the saddest part of all of this neuroscience that I've learned over the years around executive functions is that if you're if you're experiencing trauma or if you have experienced trauma your executive functions aren't doing the job that they need to do. 
And so in this time <laughs> where we're all at the moment, mm. where we're living through this completely bizarre, um, life-changing moment in history, it's traumatic. It's really hard. Mm. And, and we need to recognize that. I did an interview with Adele Diamond, who is the foremost uh, neuroscientist researcher on executive function. So she's published some amazing articles um, mm. about executive function development. I did an interview with her at the beginning of the first lockdown back in March, April time. And she was just super clear. We've got to be kinder to ourselves at this time. It's really important that we give ourselves time to do the things that we love. And yes, we can't go to the theater and we can't go to the pub with our friends or whatever it is that involves mm. seeing other people but there are other things that we can do and we need to find time for them and and you know they need to be things that really kind of nourish our human spirit and not try and get us to escape from what we're experiencing you know because I mean I for one was <laughs> one who reverted to the wine bottle over the first lockdown <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, and, you know, drowning one's sorrows, but, you know, that doesn't really help in terms of getting, you know, get, you get away from it for a bit, but then the problems are still there. But if we, if we nourish our human spirit, if we spend time looking after ourselves, just, you know, running a hot bath and, you know, if that's what you, if that's what's good for you, that's what works for me, running a hot bath, having some lovely smelly bath salts in it and and just spending some time listening to a podcast or something like that Mm. and making time for that. That's what I, I find restorative. Um, but different people will have different things. So we just need to prioritize that for ourselves in order to get that virtuous cycle happening because obviously the more we do the self-care the better our executive functions work the more able we are to make better decisions to manage our time better uh, and so therefore the virtuous cycle continues upwards and that's what we need to be heading for so I, I I try and reframe this I don't have time for things in terms of I need to make time for things mm. because it's important not just for me but also for my family, because if I have looked after myself, I'm in a better place to look after them. Oh, a hundred percent. And I don't know how much you know about my backstory in terms of why I started this podcast, but one of the reasons, well, it's a podcast, it was a, sorry, it was a lockdown project, which lots of things are, but one of the things is because about uh, towards the end of 2019, I had a bit of a sort of a well, some called it a reset, is like a bit of a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I had just stopped looking after myself. You know, I know, you know what it's like. I have two youngish kids and, you know, busy life. And I just stopped really doing anything for me. It's hard to say because anyone listening would that knows me might think, well, you do this, this, this and this. But I had stopped looking after myself. And so many of the things you said, you you mentioned a good few times there, doing the things that we love. And of all my guests that I've had that have talked about adversity and stuff, there are so many different um, versions of that. One of them talked about sprinkles of joy and the other one and something uh, someone talks about making your heart sing which is one of my favorites and one of the things that came out of me having this sort of reset was I needed to look after myself and it as you say it's different for everyone it's not just about a nice long bath but getting enough sleep for years I've been trying to find the right nutrition because I've known since before I knew if that makes any sense that if I don't eat properly I don't function and the people around me suffer enormously from me not functioning because I've not eaten well. Exercise, all those sorts of things. And one of the ones I loved, which I find quite hard because of active function, is that the, the self-care can be uh, being kind to your future self. Mm. I'm sure that's something that you, you know more about than me, but the sort of putting things in place. So making sure things are done the night before so that in the morning you can just get up and do them. And that is also a form of self-care. Absolutely. That resonates so strongly with me. It absolutely is. And, and it's, about, it's about being kind to ourselves in the way that we would be kind to a friend. Um, and, mm. and if you're making decisions for yourself that you wouldn't wish on anyone else, then you should be doing <laughs> it for yourself. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. Being kind to ourselves in the moment and in the future is so essential. It's why, it's why I very, I try, I don't always do it, but I try to make dinner in the morning 
And then do you know how much longer my evening feels Mm. if I'm not thinking at four o'clock, oh, (laughs) what are we having for dinner? Um, so I, 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 oh, this is also fascinating and I love it. And, and for me personally, and for my own family, I find it amazing. But what I'm also quite interested in is some, another article you wrote about how this translates to the workforce, because I think about myself in a working environment back in the day when I worked full time for an employer. And I have to say, I'm surprised I actually had a job when I think about how disorganized and how sort of last minute and I was very good at my job, but oh my God, it took such a massive toll on my own mental health. How important is this that employers, managers understand about this? Mm, I think it's essential. Like I said, you know, my long-term aim is for everyone to know about these things and Mm. I think it's so important, you know, we spend our formative years of our lives at school, but the rest of our lives we spend in employment for the majority of us. Um, Mm. And it's, it's, these are the things, the executive functions, they're called executive functions, just to recap, because they're the things, they're the um, brain processes that help us execute tasks. So get stuff done. So of course Mm. that plays over into the workplace. And there's nothing more frustrating as a, as a manager than when someone lets you down, when, you know, you had a deadline or something had happened and it hasn't been done. And there are so many executive functions involved in showing up on time at work, getting the things done that you need to do, managing your workload. I mean, it just, it's just so much. Gone are the days where, you know, you turn up as a secretary and you just sit there and type all day, you know, and then you leave mm. again. No, this, you have to be able to think flexibly. You have to be able to prioritize what to do first. You have to be able to manage your time. You have to regulate your emotions when someone says something in a meeting that really, you know, really triggers you. And you have to be able to inhibit your responses in meetings as well, when you've got something really want to say, and actually it's not your turn and somebody else has got to speak and, and not dominating that environment. So they are such essential skills. And it, it was a real light bulb moment for me, actually, when I went into a big international bank, their, their headquarters in London, um, just over a year and a half ago. And they, uh, uh, they, one of our coaches that I just trained works uh, for Citibank. A lot of our coaches do like a day job. Um, mm. and, then they, um, and then they work uh, with us as, you know, as part of their, um, their other work. And, and she said, I've just got to get you to come in and speak to my team. And I was like, okay, well, I, I'm a teacher and I work in you know, this with kids. And she's like, no, this is just so essential. Will you come in and speak to them? I said, yeah, sure, no worries. I'll come and speak to them. And, you know, this team of, you know, very well-educated, highly professional salespeople working with this big international bank. Um, and they, they were just sitting there, just like throughout my whole presentation, just with their jaws on the floor saying, why didn't we know about this stuff? I have mm. such bad opinions of some of the people who work for me because they struggle with these things. But now I understand it's a brain function. Now I understand that there's the skills that they can develop. I've suddenly got a language to speak to them about it with. And, mm. and, and they obviously don't, you know, you don't have do one talk and then that's it. So, you know, they've got us involved to go in and do training with these managers and help them to develop the coaching skills that they need to help they're the people that work with them and their teams to be as productive as they can but also that comes with this understanding of their self-care as well right so we know Mm. that you need to look after yourself really well in order for your executive functions to be working well so gone are the days I feel in the future of you know just working people working people working people because if we understand that actually they're more productive and you can prove scientifically that they're more productive if they've rested well, if they've eaten well, if they're not stressed, then then that's where we get to this wonderful sweet spot, I feel, of like human productivity, where people are doing things that they love. They're doing it, they're motivated, they achieve what they can do within the time that they have allowed, and they feel rewarded by the work that they do. And so few people have that this, uh, in this day and age, and I think that's really sad. Um, yeah. And uh, talking about that, with the global pandemic and people working from home is that 
a help or a hindrance or does it very much depend on the sort of executive function problems? Because I think about myself and if I was in a full-time job just now, it might help that I was in my own comfortable Mm -hmm. working space if I had one, but that not everybody does. They're working in the corner of the kitchen or in a kid's bedroom while they're out, you know, they're doing something else. But I also think, I remember the few days that I did have to work at home back in the day, yeah, and I'd just log on and go back to bed because, <laughs> you know, I needed at the time, I needed that sort of external somebody just making sure I was, you know, at least in the right framework. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, no. How is, it, how is it affecting in general or is there? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's difficult to say, you know, obviously the research will come out after the event, you know, mm. um, with these things. But the preliminary research that we've seen coming out of this is that actually people have been more productive at home. Now, there could be two mm. reasons why this is. Um, firstly, like you said, you're in, you know, you're in your environment, you're not having to commute. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're just cracking on with things. But also, you know, everyone's really worried about their job. <laughs> Do I have yeah. a job, you know, so I think there's a lot of pressure on people to perform to do what they need to do that this isn't a cop out this isn't a like oh you're having a duvet day this is you know you're gonna have to crack on with your work so I think what's happened is my instinct is what's happened is this kind of shift that's happened where people have started saying like okay I can do work from home employers have started saying like people can be productive from home but also I think for a lot of people, it's gone the opposite way as well. And that they are just not, they're having no boundaries. They're carrying on working till 11, 12 at night. Mm. They're getting up again and they're starting work again at seven and they're being super productive. Um, but the detriment of everything else in terms of their, yeah. their well-being, and that's not sustainable long-term. So you can do mm. that for two or three months, but then you're draining your batteries. It's kind of, I kind of think of this kind of self-care thing as kind of batteries. And if you, if you keep draining the batteries down and down and down and not re- restoring them um, with everything that you need to get them back up to that level, they will burn out. And and it sounds like for you that that happened to you and that has happened to me a couple of times in my life too. And that's where we get, you know, obviously that's not what employers want because then people are off sick from work quite rightly because they need to rest and recuperate and then they need to come back. So we need to get this balance right um, mm. for people. And, and so the executive functions you need around that is the response inhibition, the ability to stop and say, I could check my email just now. I could mm. just quickly log on to our business Facebook account and do a new post, or I could not. And I could put my phone and my computer away and I could just have this time with my family, you know, have a bath or whatever it is, you know, that is the mm. thing that you need to do to, to restore. So response inhibition, I think is really, really important. Um, also the flexibility, um, prioritize, I mean, you just, I could go on and on that all the executive functions (laughs) are needed. Um, and, and more so I think at home than in the office, because like you say, there is the structure there for you, isn't there? You, you have to Mm. be there by a certain time and you, everyone goes on lunch around the certain time and, and then everyone kind of leaves around the certain time. So there is Mm. that routine, um, that you've got there. And, and without that, you need to, we need to empower our employees to create their own routine. And I just had a lovely um, a few coaching sessions with one of my managers who was really struggling with this particular thing. And we just, she said, will you just coach me? I said, sure, no worries. And we had a few sessions on it. And she just said, it was just so great to have some sessions where we were just talking about the challenges, trying a few things out. Um, Mm. uh, and talking about it as if it was something that she shouldn't be ashamed of because you know we're talking about things like I'm I I feel like I'm just always working and that I Mm. I'm always catch you know always chasing my tail and I never have enough time to do everything and so we kind of sat down and we worked through it together and we put together a much more sustainable plan for her and you know it it just worked brilliantly for her and she's you know she's one of these people who has quite strong goal directed persistence so she was able to implement that for herself and um it's been you know really transformative in terms of her setting up new routines for herself making sure she takes just 15 minutes for lunch but she has 15 minutes away from her computer she makes herself something to eat she sits down she enjoys her meal rather than having a working lunch and getting crumbs all over her computer Mm -hmm. and you know that, (laughs) that kind of thing 
that's something I've learned in Switzerland. People stop for lunch. They actually stop, mm-hmm. they shut their shops and they go out for lunch or they go home for lunch, which is such an, an alien concept for, I think, certainly for Brits anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I, I worked in events for 10 years and we just worked all the hours in the world. And I, I think back now and I think, why did I not take proper time you know, to go for a walk. I, I worked in the middle of the countryside. Mm-hmm. Why did I not take time to just go for a proper walk? Why did I not, why did I just bury myself in another round of, <laughs> I've got so much to do, I've got so much to do. And it's such a, it, you know, it's, it's hard to look back at my past self and not go, man, I wish I had known. But it's so useful, so useful for, you know, future, but also for the future of my kids to see, you know, how exciting it can be that they get, you know, to understand this. And, you know, they're growing up sporty and I'm trying to feed them well and and let them know that it's okay to go, all right, I just need a little break now. Mm -hmm. But then I'm going back in 15, you know, just to sort of keep the structure. But it's hard for a mum with executive function to manage a child with executive function issues. It's quite hard. (laughs) It's really hard, isn't it? And often... I don't know about you, but I find, you know, the things that I used to struggle with that I've now developed strategies around, particularly triggering. Um, mm. You think oh, that you'll be absolutely. able to be more empathetic, but for some reason for me, I'm like, you know, you know, it's really not that much of a big deal, you know, but then I'm like, okay, no, it is a big deal. It's hard for her, you know, and I'm really working on that, but it's, it's so hard to remember what it was like as a child. Um, mm. that, living in the present that we all aim for as adults is what children do every day they don't Mm. have this kind of long-term view of everything they don't understand time so much um and so trying to remember what that's like is is really really hard um Uh, it's funny though because I see you know for years again before I knew what this was I would hear my daughter saying exactly the same to me as I used to say to my mum mainly around getting dressed on time for the, you know to go to school and I would I remember so clearly my mum saying to me are you nearly ready and I'd say every single day I would say the same thing I'm just putting my socks on which would signify you know to the outside world that I was nearly finished I was nearly ready but you know either it was a complete lie or I was just putting my socks on as the first thing <laughs> Because then, it, and I read, uh, <laughs> I read in your, one of your articles or something you said about the fact that you had to use quite, you have to use quite astute coaches because people with these challenges mm. get quite clever at fibbing, <laughs> not maliciously, but just because they're, oh crap, I've been caught out again, right, okay, uh, okay. And is that, is that something you've had to really work on with people? Yeah, no, it, it's huge. And I think charm is people with ex- executive function challenges, like a weapon number one. Um, and, mm. and often people with executive function challenges are so charming that you're almost blinded <laughs> by this amazing, charming person in front of you. They couldn't possibly be this other lazy mm-hmm. person. You know, I, I use that word, like I hate that yes. word, but you know, that's what people, the perception people have. They couldn't possibly be this lazy person because they're so charming. Um, and, and so this charm is, gets developed, often white lies, and these are coping mechanisms. And if you think about it in terms of how the brain develops, if you try as a child or as you're growing up, if you try these little things out and they work for you, it's not like you're thinking about it. It's just that's how the brain develops. If it try, you try it out, you, you don't get that kind of difficult response. Okay, right, that kept me safe. And then over the years, that gets more and more and more embedded. Then yes, you get really good at white lies, but not because of any choice of your own. It's just because of the circumstances that you've grown up in. And I think that's really important because often people think that these young people are being purposely manipulative um, and mm. see them as being naughty. And I firmly believe that's yeah. not it at all. They're not, they're just trying their best to cope in a really difficult situation. Um, and, and that, you know, if we put that lens on it, I think it really changes our perception um, of these things. So yes, our coaches have to be very good at two things. First of all, recognizing the lie and calling people out on it and saying, mm, you know, I'm not quite so sure that's what you said you're <laughs> going to do or whatever it is in a friendly and lovely way and just holding mm. people to account and then holding them to account and saying, 
when they turn up at the next coaching session and they've got some new sparkly thing they want to talk about and you're like hang on a second mm. last week we were talking about losing your phone how did that go and they're like oh okay yeah didn't go so great and then you need to go back and you need to unpick why the, the working on the phone um you know didn't work out for them because the, the key thing here about building strong executive functions is it takes at least 60 iterations of a new habit for it to become embedded. You've got to do something so many times before mm. it becomes your second nature. So you can't do a coaching session one week on losing your phone and then expect for it suddenly to be, oh, amazing. Um, you need to work on it over time. You need to develop those skills. You need to tw uh, tweak the strategies that you're using until all of a sudden, you, you know, you look back six months, I say, oh, I'm not losing my phone so much anymore. Oh, that's because I'm putting mm. it in that specific <laughs> spot or whatever it is. But it takes time and it takes effort. And just because some people find these things easy doesn't mean that everyone finds them easy. They can if they get to the stage where they develop that skill and it's become embedded, then it becomes easy for them. But in that learning to do stage, in that learning mm. to ride the bike stage, it's hard you graze your knees, you embarrass yourself. It's difficult, but you get mm. up and you carry on and you keep going. And then you can ride a bike brilliantly and you can do all the things that you wanted to do with riding that bike, but it's not something you can just suddenly jump on and start pedaling. Oh, there's a couple of things in there that you said that I want to pick up on. One is the whole habit and routines thing, which is something I'm trying to put in place. Um, but it is a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge, I think, from most people anyway to change habits but it's the sort of thing it is one of those things that screams at me from every social media from every device from every podcast you listen to get into a morning routine get into and and you know in your head that that is exactly what you should be doing and then there's this sort of certainly for someone like me I go right I'm changing 10 things all now and then by in three days time I've I've given up on all of them mm. Yeah. How do you work? And how, first of all, how does how can you help that? And how can you, with a living with a person who is like that, must be well. I know it's incredibly frustrating because I live with my daughter, but I also know that it's incredibly frustrating for my husband because he lives with me, and I, I, I and it sort of kind of picks up on the new sparkly thing, a new sparkly thing, mm. a new thing I can think about. That's it's hard. So how can people support? I mean, I know we've talked we talked a little bit about it, understanding the yeah, understanding it. But give us some top tips. Yeah, so I think the the key thing that people can do to support, um, be they parents or um, partners or friends or family members, um, is is to really empathize with the person and that's really hard if you have strong executive functions right it's really hard to mm. think how difficult it must be for someone if you've not lived it but we can all empathize with people who have different experiences so i think mm. the best way to help build that empathy is for people to really listen to how it feels like how frustrating mm. it is or how shameful it feels let's say for the person who's living through it to have people constantly be like rolling their eyes when you're on the new sparkly thing and saying, can't you mm. just keep focused on one thing? Or you know, <laughs> do, you, do you think this is going to be a good use of your time? You know, those kind of comments. And when they're not as enthusiastic about, about something new as you are, you know, that that's really hard. It's really hard to hear the people that mm. you love, the people that you respect saying, hmm. So first of all, you know, just empathizing and saying, gosh, you know, that sounds so exciting. I can see you're really animated by that. Wow, that's such a great idea. And just recognizing that the idea is a really great idea. And then, mm. you know, then once that person feels heard, like, yeah, it's a really great idea. Then at that time, they're more, much more open to feeling, to, to receiving advice at that stage. And, and it's been proven in psychology for a number of years. So that's what, you know, the key skill of psychologists is empathy. They empathize um, and then they, they give you space to talk about things and, and reflect. But when you're, when you're um, you know, a partner or a parent, just using that empathy to help the, the person feel heard is really important. And then you can give some advice as you would do, which will, which will land so much better once you mm. empathize than if you completely dismiss what they're saying straight away. 
Yeah. So if you've done the, oh, that sounds like a really exciting idea. What an amazing idea. Yeah, that sounds so great. That, you know, I love you so much, but, you know, you're so overworked at the moment. Do you really have time for this? That lands mm. so much better than you don't have time for that. <laughs> and that mm, dismissive yeah. kind of comment, you know, that, I mean, I'm, I'm over-exaggerating here and I'm sure, you mm-hmm, know, people mm-hmm. are more understanding, but that kind of empathy step is, is so important. So, so that's important. And then also, I think it's about having dis- regular discussions about reflecting on what's happening and, and mm-hmm. that, that frustration in a marriage in, as a parent, whatever can build up and can, you know, it can explode. Um, you know, yeah. blazing rows about these things if you don't tackle it little and often. And so mm-hmm. what I would advise people to do is we have this great acronym that we use with all ages. So this works from six all the way up to 95. Um, what went well? So WWW, it's easy to remember. What went well? And then even better if, so EBI. And structuring conversations mm-hmm. around that, again, is a really positive way of of talking about the difficult things that need to come up so you start off by reflecting on what you're grateful for about the other person what's what went well this week what's what's been brilliant okay so then everyone's in this feeling of like yeah no, this is good you know this conversation is good I'm feeling heard I think those went things went well too great we we kind of agree the things that went well and then when it comes to the more difficult conversation about the even better if it lands again much better because you can talk about these things and say, well, you know, I just did notice that this happened this week and it, it really did irritate me, you know, because of X, Y, and Z. And, mm. and in that zone, that person is not in their emotional response because they felt, felt heard. They're much more in their executive function kind of brain mm-hmm. and they can, they can understand that feedback better, process it and put it into place rather than if they're in their emotional brain because they feel they're attacked, you know, if they're feeling mm. under pressure. So hopefully that helps. That does help. That's massive, uh, massively helpful. So um, we're sort of coming towards the end of an hour, and I'm sure you're a busy woman. Um, I wanted to, you, you've mentioned a couple of times your dream scenario. Talk me just through that one more time, sort of, you know, that everybody's talking about it from childhood up, that parents understand their children, teachers understand their students you know managers understand and and all that kind of good stuff Mm, yeah yeah so I think my vision for the future is that executive functions are seen as part of human development just the same as literacy language development all of those milestones that we as parents are very familiar with as we our children grow up just you know sitting up you know all of these things you know should be part Mm. of that language um and that, that parents know about when to expect these executive functions to come online because they come online at different ages um, and at d- different developmental stages. Because I'm, I'm kind of a bit averse to saying that we're all on some kind of linear path and that at five, you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. I don't think that's how the human brains develop. They're all di- very different and complex. But anyway, just being aware of, you know, what to expect at what age or what developmental stage, it, I think is really, really important in those early years. And an environment where talking about executive functions is not is not attached to shame it's attached mm. to this is a skill that you haven't developed yet just like learning to ride a bike or learning to swim or play tennis or what, speak french or whatever it is this is a skill mm-hmm. that you haven't yet developed and these are the steps you can go through to develop them i would love for every classroom to talk about executive functioning as part of every lesson um, and that when when we set tasks within a class, talking about right, what executive functions are we going to need in order to do these? What skills are we going to need in order to complete this task? Not the knowledge, well, you know, not the fractions, you know, whatever the task is, mm. but what skills are we going to need? Because you're going to need task initiation to get started. You're going to need sustained attention to keep going at it. You're going to need your goal-directed persistence to keep going when it's really dull. You know, all of these things talking about Mm. them and building those skills rather than examining, as I believe currently, they're examining skills or assessing skills that are not taught. They're just seen to kind of inherently evolve, which they do for neurotypical people, but for for quite a few, uh, quite a large proportion of the population. We're not talking about a minority of like 0.5%. We're talking about, you know, the figures that they don't quite know about what proportion of people uh, really have challenges with executive functions, but we're lo- we're talking about between twenty five and kind of forty percent of the population here. So wow. it's a huge, huge amount of population. 
So talking about those things within the classroom, developing those skills and seeing it as, as, as the school environment as a place for all learners, no matter what their executive function challenge is, is really, really important. So not just for neurotypical brains. Um, and then moving on to, um, you know, that obviously carries on through university, but then in the workplace, having workplaces which talk about these things like so we have developed a workplace where we talk about in our meetings it's like I'm really struggling with my planning prioritization today I have got mm. 20 jobs that need doing they all need doing by Friday I just don't have the time to do it all great okay so we just need to talk about that we like what resources do we have can we get um, a temp in to help out with x y or z and we talk about it in a really practical manner um, and there's no shame attached to it there's no oh you haven't managed your workload properly um mm. and it's it's talking about these things in in a practical manner but also you know helping to develop people with their skills so if you you hire someone and you know from the outset that they really struggle with planning prioritization you put them through a training program that helps them to develop their planning and prioritization skills so that they can perform at their their job that they're super gifted and creative about but they just need mm. that that skill in order to do that so using it as a um as a, as a method of, of helping boost productivity, but also not in a way that kind of drains the person of every inch of their life, but more yeah. in terms of building them up so that they can feel fulfilled in their work and that they um, can support themselves. And, um, and so that would continue through their lives. And I think the, the kind of underlying part of all this is helping people to understand themselves better, to look after themselves, because we know if you look after yourself your executive functions are stronger you're more able to get things done and you're more able to be productive and lead a fulfilled life and so that it has to be a whole package all together oh I love it I love it I'm so oh, I just think it's so fascinating and so as I've said probably a couple of times now it's it's such a huge relief for me to hear it it's such a a, a, a tinge of a little bit of sadness for all the times I think back and go, oh, I wish I just wish I'd known. Um, but great hope for the future for my kids, especially my daughter, because I feel that it's just so important and so timely that we find all this out in while she's still young enough for it to really, really, really make a difference. What um, further reading could you uh suggest if people are interested in in finding out more for themselves or for someone that they love or work with wonderful so yes um there's this wonderful uh, series of books called smart but scattered and they've got one for kids one for teens and um, one for adults um, so look those up they're very affordable um they're really practical kind of guides as to what you can do um, also, if people are interested in reading some academic articles, I can recommend um, Adele Diamond. Uh, she's the, the foremost researcher into um, executive function. She's written some amazing research about it. She's done devoted her life to, to the research. Um, there's one particularly called, um, which talks about executive functions and nourishing their human spirit, that that's the most important part of developing strong executive functions, so mm. what we've been talking about today. Um, uh, and then um, I think if, if anyone's interested in the links between ADHD and dyslexia and executive functioning, Russell Barkley um, is another good person to read. He's done a lot of research about you know, the crossover between neurodiverse conditions and executive functioning as well. There is a lot more research in the pipeline as well. We're really excited every year. There's new research that's coming out linking neurodiverse conditions with executive function challenges. That's amazing because I know we were sort of running out of time, but I, it has the whole link with ADHD and dyslexia and so on is such a is such another big part of it. So um, I'm really interested to learn about that, too. Um, and as far as you're concerned, uh, your company is Connections in Mind. Is that correct? Yes. Connections in Mind. That's right. And we can follow you on where social media. What's where, yes. where can we find you? Yes, yeah, so um, we have two um, executive function support groups on Facebook that people can follow. Um, so you can just search for executive function support group and there's one for parents and one for adults. Um, then we also, I'm quite active on LinkedIn as well. So for more of a professional angle. Um, so that's Victoria Bagnall. Um, that's my personal feed as well. Um, and then we're on Twitter and we're on um, all the other places you'd expect us to be um, as well. Great. I'll put all that in the show notes. 
Um, so I would just, uh, on a personal note, would like to thank you because uh, my daughter is currently working through the kids. Is it EF Adventures? That come I if I remember that correctly? Yeah, um, that's right. With uh, one of your coaches, and she is absolutely loving it really loving it it's making a difference in our household already and uh, my husband and I are following the parents support teaching which is absolutely fascinating uh, from as I've said to you before previously one for me as someone who suffers from these things but also for my husband who's going oh I see that's a thing <laughs> so thank you to you I cannot highly I cannot recommend it highly enough uh, and thank you again for your time and we will obviously stay in touch but I um, I cannot thank you enough it was really fascinating oh well it's been an absolute pleasure and and thank you for asking me all those lovely questions I feel like I've you know really explored some things that I hadn't hadn't consolidated in my thinking so I appreciate it ah pleasure Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.